0: Da ba ba da ba ba da ba ba da ba ba Ed, the World Cup's almost over. How are you feeling? Well, I'm sad the World Cup's over, but I've enjoyed it. Although, I have to be honest, I think I've enjoyed the knockout rounds a little less than I enjoyed the group stages. Perhaps the football's not been quite as open and exciting, but much of that to be expected, of course.
1: Yeah, although the last 16 was generally excellent um, and it was really only the quarterfinals... Uh and one of those semi-finals that was a bit dull, because uh, the other semi-final was many things, but dull wasn't really one of them, was it? I guess we'll talk about the dull one first, shall we?
0: Yeah, why not? Let's get that one out of the way. Although, you know, sad times. United knocked out of the World Cup the semi-final stage, although going beyond expectations. So it's it's hard to, in the Dutch camp, I guess it's hard for them to feel too sad, because, you know, what was it The the poll said? Only 5% of... The Dutch public thought they'd actually make it out of the group stages.
1: <laughs> I think it was 5% thought that they'd get to the final, um, which, of course, they didn't. So 95% of the Dutch population are actually right on that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm going to let the statistics tell whatever story I want them
1: to. OK, fair enough. Damn you, Paul. <laughs>
0: so, look, it, they, they went beyond expectations. They played in a style that no one actually expected, so very counter-attacking and some say negative, especially if you've been brought up in the Dutch culture of total football in 4-3-3, but it proved Louis van Gaal was a strategic and tactical genius. You know, as we all know he, him to be, but uh, he devised a strategy to, to get Holland as far as possible, uh, to wring more than the sum of the parts out of that team, and, and it worked for them. Almost all the way, bar for a penalty kick or two.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an absolutely remarkable achievement because that group was rock hard. They demolished Spain in the first game of the tournament in a way that nobody was expecting at all, apart from apparently Louis van Gaal. The thing about this, the the thing about the Netherlands success that I've enjoyed the most is just how much of it has been down to van Gaal. That's what's been so exciting to watch for me, watching the Dutch side, because his substitutions have been absolutely mint. I mean, we didn't do a podcast between the quarterfinals and the semifinals, so the sort of warm afterglow of the Tim Krull substitution has slightly worn off, but what a moment that was. You know, he went the right way on every single one of those penalties, not to mention he acted the, the right fool um, upsetting the Costa Ricans. Uh,
0: you know what? I thought that was fine as well. I know some people didn't like it, but so what? You had plenty of mind games on the pitch. And uh, yeah, and worse, right? So you have to deal with the pressure. I mean, t- to be honest, did that really put the Costa Ricans off that much? Uh, I, th- I think the fact that he'd obviously been charged with studying the Costa Ricans very successfully, given that he did go the right way on all of them and saved two, uh, you know, a brilliant turned out to be a brilliant substitution. Van Hal' was exactly right, and and if anything, Van Hal's decision was proven. Uh, even more right by the penalty shoot against Argentina, where he had already used his three substitutes. He'd made the call to bring on Jan Klaas Huntelaar for Robin van Persie in the hope of actually winning the game in normal time. Couldn't bring cruel on. Sillison looked like a boy, didn't he, in the goal? He was small... He tried the mind games as well, and he just looked kind of silly. He looked like someone who's copying one of his heroes in the playground. Maybe that's cruel, I don't know. But it just kind of proved that Van Hall was absolutely right. And the thing is, even when he loses, he wins. Because, brilliant quotes after the game, he said, uh, and the thing that makes me sick is that I taught Romero how to save penalties. Romero, of course, being the AZ keeper for a couple of seasons under Van Gaal.
1: Yeah, I mean... Just giddy with excitement about the prospect of Van Gaal being United manager next season. And and to come on to the semi-final, I mean, in a way, the Dutch should have dispatched Costa Rica in normal time. And the fact that they went to extra time and you've got all the emotional draining nature of penalties meant that by the time extra time rolled around in the semi-final, they looked completely shot to me. I mean, Argentina had gone to, um, to extra time. In their semi-final, in their round of sixteen game against Switzerland, but I can't remember if they did against Belgium or not, off the top of no, my head, no. right? Um, and so they they just looked a bit fresher. And Iron Robin finally, how do we put this? Iron Robin finally ran out of juice. I don't know. He he definitely looked tired for the first time in the tournament uh, in extra time. Uh, in that, in that semi-final because he...
0: Maybe he didn't have access to Pep's special doctor anymore.
1: Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, Arjen Robin definitely has a lot of energy and seems to be getting faster and stronger as he gets older. Amazing. Amazing, that is. It's a weird yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, when
0: you analyse the performances of those two teams, Argentina and Holland, uh, over the tournament, they haven't put in that many exciting performances. So Argentina have actually been very conservative, given how many attacking resources they've got. I mean, Levetsi, Higuain, Messi and some, you know, talented midfielders as well. So much attacking talent, but they've actually been very conservative in their strategy and, and, and Holland or Netherlands uh, too for the reasons I, I said earlier. And it's really only in that dead rubber against Nigeria that Argentina opened up a little bit more and, and really for the Dutch only against Spain. But, uh, you know, a weird game in which they counter-attacked, had seven chances and scored five goals. So... I don't think we should be surprised that the semi-final turned out in the way it did. There are two teams that uh, are both looking to counter-attack and you almost always get a quite quite a negative game when you have two teams that are both waiting for the others to come out. And... and And on top of that, you kind of sensed a
1: bit of fear in both of them. They were both out there to not lose first. Yeah, I mean, I I said on Twitter during the game, they looked like two teams that kind of really did, they came out really not wanting to lose. And then as the match went on, they wanted to lose less and less and less and less. The pressure of the World Cup final place building all the time. For Argentina, I guess the prize is even greater after what they'd seen had happened to Brazil the, the night before. But for Holland, it meant facing their old rivals, Germany, uh, you wonder if there was, I don't know, you'd, you'd wonder whether there was a slight fear about getting to that World Cup final too, um, because they might have felt that they would be outmatched should they get there. The other thing I want to say is the other time that the Dutch were really on the front foot and very attacking was in their second group game against Australia. Where they really went for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, when there were a couple of goals
1: down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun game. But generally speaking, like Holland have been pretty good to watch, even though they've erred on the side of caution. But and I don't think either of us think that that's exactly how Van Gaal's going to set United no. up next season.
0: No, I would expect that Van Gaal will go, whatever the formation is, and there's been, you know, just to prove that, uh, the media really know nothing. Uh, everyone's been absolutely certain that United will play five-three-two, and, and absolutely certain that United will play three-four-three, and absolutely certain that United will play four-three-three. So, you know, take your pick. Uh, it's probably just going to be a straight-up four-four-two, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll be moist balling it into the corners all day long. But no, I, I'm sure that Van Gaal will go back to his roots. Uh, that United will be playing a possession-based game, um, looking to be on the front foot. Uh, and looking to attack I'm I'm sure because look at the players uh, at uh, United's disposal there's no way we'll be playing a counter-attacking game there's only really a couple of squads in Chelsea and Manchester City that you'd say are stronger than United's as is and and United will be spending more money before the summer is out so uh, you know we we, and no Europe as well so you'd expect that Van Instigating and attacking philosophy at United. I'm looking forward to
1: it. One of the things that's so exciting is how much of a performance he got out of some fairly middling players because we have got a lot of players in our squad who have not lived up to their potential or have consistently underperformed and all that kind of stuff. And when you look at Ron Vlaar's performance in a World Cup semi-final, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Okay, he he missed the penalty, but I think it's uh, probably a bit mean to chastise him over, over much for that. Apparently, two players that Van Gaal asked to take the first penalty he passed on the opportunity so uh Ron Vlaar stepped up and and it was no surprise that he was confident because he'd put in a performance the likes of which you would never thought you'd see from an Aston Villa player.
0: Well, quite he looks like a world beater, right? <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, he's been outstanding defensively all tournament. And he's he's not the best on the ball and he's not the most mobile and and that's why he's he's never found himself at a top club, but he's had a really really good tournament and uh You know, fair play to him for stepping up and taking the penalty. Uh, A little bit naughty of Van Hal to expose two players. I know he didn't name them, but I'm not sure he would have said that if he wasn't leaving. Because, no, you don't want to be searching for scapegoats here, do you? Uh, You know, it's sad for the Dutch, I suppose. Who's the other miss? Wesley Schneider. uh, After they'd scored all their penalties against Costa Rica. That's just the way it is, I, I guess, you know. There's been lots of research. Ben Littleton's book on penalties is excellent, actually. Uh, quite a good fun read that one, and uh, he's got loads of stats about what percentage of winners win a penalty shoot out after they've just lost one or the other way around, right, so you know
1: yeah i mean it's it's hard to win a penalty shoot out it's extremely hard to win two penalty shoots out in a row, basically that's. But that's the gist, isn't it, of the maths? There you go. I guess we should talk a bit about Argentina, right? Because that's, that's a lot of focus on the Dutch, but this is, a, this is a Holland podcast after all. I mean, a Manchester United podcast after all. They weren't overly impressive. Messi kept extremely quiet by some very tidy Dutch defending and some excellent Dutch marshalling. Nigel de Jong doing a fine job for about 60 minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a limited player, de Jong, but he, he does that limited thing well. And yeah, a complete blanket Dutch defence when they didn't have the ball. I mean, it was uh, five at the back when defending. They they got back into shape very quickly. And Vlaar marshalling his back three, Coit and Daly Blint tucking in. And then when they switched it around, Jan, Matt and Coit. Uh, and, and the three midfielders in front of them as well. So you, they, they smothered the Argentinians. They got very, very quickly onto Messi. In fact, the, the thing they did best was not getting too tight onto him, actually trying to disrupt the ball to him. So Messi didn't have a lot of touches as a result. And, you know, this is exactly the way you need to play Messi. The the thing is about Messi is that even when he doesn't get the ball, he does have an influence because if they're crowding him, if they are deploying tactics to try and stop the ball getting to him. There should have been space elsewhere. The Argentinians just weren't able to exploit it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you think that if Di Maria and Aguero were both fit and on form, obviously Aguero came on as a sub, but he would definitely been in the starting eleven if he was properly fit. If they were both fit and raring to go, then you'd have had players taking advantage of that space, as it was. Only Higuain had shown any kind of form, and that was only really in the game previous to, to this one. Um, so... You know, basically, Argentina didn't offer a lot apart from Messi. I think there'll be a different proposition in the final. I don't think Germany will snuff Messi out quite so completely but Argentina in the tournament as a whole they've kind of plodded along really and and Messi's got them out of trouble numerous occasions he's easily been the player who's exerted the most single influence on any team uh, in in the World Cup I'd say maybe only James Rodriguez is comparable and actually he was kind of slightly more ably backed up than Messi has been
0: mm. what well, do you mean that Wayne Rooney wasn't uh, influential <laughs> yeah. for
1: England what are you talking about <laughs> Well, clearly yes. Apart from apart from Alwaza, even though Argentina have underwhelmed, you just can't begrudge the fact that Leo Messi's found his way to a World Cup final, can you? We can't begrudge it him. I mean, I mean, a great player
0: should should perform on the greatest of stages, and and he's going to do that. And this might be his Maradona 1986 moment. Maybe I'm romanticising the 1986 tournament because I do fondly remember it because it was you know one from my childhood, and I felt that Maradona had a greater influence on that team than Messi is able to have. On this team, you know, he scored goals early in the tournament. He hasn't scored the really big goal yet, has he?
1: Well, no, but I I think he's had, I don't know, I think he's had a comparable impact. It's just been a lot less fun to watch because every single Argentina goal has had crucial Messi involvement in it. They haven't scored a single goal he wasn't involved in, either with the assist, the goal or the pass leading up to the assist. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, so it's just that they don't look as good as Argentina did in 1986. And as a result of that, I think the result of the final, which we'll come on to at the end, is going to be a flip-flop of the 1986. It's going to be 1990 all over again, not not 1986 all over again. Um, But we'll see.
0: Who's going to dive to win the winning penalty then?
1: (laughs) Well... There'd be good money on Thomas Muller, which brings us nicely to talking about one of the most remarkable things that's ever happened in the whole history of the world. Brazil lost 7-1 to Germany in the semi-final of a World Cup in Brazil. It's the kind of thing that, you know, we're only, what, 48 hours on from it, and... Even still, even 48 hours later, it's genuinely hard to process the implications of what's happened.
0: Yeah, one journalist tweeted after that game that uh, he'd been saying for quite a while that uh, results like this between big teams uh, was more likely to happen now. He didn't expand on that. Uh, And it's obviously total nonsense. Total, total nonsense. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime result. Absolutely remarkable. Brazil hadn't lost in their own backyard for over 40 years in a competitive game. And to get absolutely smashed off the field in that kind of fashion, that kind of humiliating fashion, uh, was just unbelievable. I've, I've barely ever seen games like that. Uh, I think you see some big scores sometimes, but very, very rarely between two top sides and, and definitely not on their own patch. So really strange stuff. And And just the way that Brazil capitulated, it was quite clear that as a team and a unit, they'd built themselves around Neymar. And tactically, that you know, that wasn't the case, right? They could have put up much more of a fight. They might still have lost to Germany, but much more of a fight without, you know, even though Neymar wasn't there, Thiago Silva clearly made a big difference in, in, uh, in defensive terms. But I think mentally was the problem, wasn't it? And uh, the way they conceded goals in the fashion they did in such quick order, with the schoolboy defending, and the fact that they just seemed to have gone. They built all their hopes around Neymar and. I think the Diana-esque levels of grief in the country uh, affected them. And it, and it flowed through to the team too, holding a Neymar shirt up while the the national anthem was being played. I mean, you know, one step more and they'd been wearing black armbands for him.
1: I mean, there's a lot of talk about them working with a sports psychiatrist to get over the loss of Neymar. And if that is the case, he or she has obviously recommended that they own their grief about Neymar being there, I have to say, if I was working with them, there's no way I'd be recommending that they stand there with an the Neymar shirt during the national anthem because what it says to the opposition team is we are not a whole team. You know, we are we are a team suffering from a loss. Uh, n- let alone what it says to about their own you know, their own status as as footballers. I think there's no doubt that the, that the biggest on-the-pitch loss was the fact that Thiago wasn't there because, I mean, clearly when Gary Neville described David Luiz as a PlayStation footballer all the way through this tournament, it's been uh, Thiago Silva holding the control part, hasn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's clearly the organiser and the leader Thiago Silva. And, and you're absolutely right. He's managed to keep Luiz, uh, you know, in control. And I've rarely ever seen such a bat-mental defensive performance as that one from David Luiz. 50 million euros PSG paid for him. They've they've got to be looking at the contract and going, what the hell, buyer beware, we've got a 14-day get-out clause, or, (laughs) you know, what? (laughs) Just awful, awful performance. The only thing about it is
1: they, of course, have got Thiago Silva. So I guess they're hoping that that does the job. But if he's ever injured, they're really in trouble. Being a a football fan in England means that you are constantly bombarded with people telling you that the players are not showing enough passion. English players aren't passionate enough about the national team. Michael Carrick's problem is that he doesn't show enough passion on the pitch. The, The Brazilian team... Had way, way, way too much passion. Although them belting out two verses of the national anthem, the second one a cappella with the mascots in front of them screaming it out looks amazing on telly. Makes an amazing noise in the stadium. The fact that Neymar burst into tears after the national anthem in the second game, and then had a very ab second half to that game Uh, the fact that David Luiz is the kind of absolute national cheerleader in chief and then put in a performance like that whereas on the other hand Germany who calmly sang along with their national anthem or didn't bother at all in many (laughs) cases Yeah. yeah put on an absolute masterclass of what happens when you remain calm as a professional footballer right well look there's many many different types of sportsmen in the
0: world right and there are some brilliant sportsmen who wear their heart on their sleeves and they're passionate and that's important for them but there are many many footballers for whom that is not uh, and sportsmen who that's not the case you know michael schumacher pete sampras roger federer super calm sports people who didn't use passion in order to bring greater performances out of themselves and and i cannot believe that a group of 22 guys uh, all feed off the passion right clearly it affected a lot of them
1: yeah and in a way, the you mentioned football journalist Miguel Delaney, brilliant. He did a tweet to a friend of his saying that this is going to be an unprecedented defeat to the hosts, for the hosts before the game. Got to give a shout out to Miguel Delaney for that because that's one heck of a prediction. It was a great surprise and it was an incredible shock with the kind of benefit of hindsight, it also made complete sense. Of course, Germany have been sleepwalking their way through the tournament, waiting to find the best of themselves. Of course, Brazil have are going to overcommit themselves. And if there's any team that's going to kind of cut them apart, it's that collection of incredibly talented players the Germans have got. A uh, word for Miroslav Klose. If ever there was a sort of emblematic moment, Miroslav Klose overtaking OG Ronaldo in the scoring stakes uh, it's quite something. The fact that he did it against Brazil in Brazil as well, just to rub salt in the wound.
0: Well, yeah, the furthest out of his goals was just about on the penalty spot. The two of them, they they had a little montage of his goals. Yeah. on the tell you of the game, two of them were basically on the line <laughs> yeah. and were going in anyway. I mean, talk about a Gold Poacher literally <laughs> stealing it off his teammates. Yeah. So, look, the, the other thing I wanted to say is that. I found it very hard to like this Brazil side. Yeah. So, and it's a little strange that I I found myself cheering along with the the Germany side. I suppose as a you know an English football fan, you're supposed to hate the Germany side. Although you know they're they're a very attractive side in terms of how they play the the game. So you know I don't really. But this Brazil side has been negative. They've been very very aggressive their entire game plan against Colombia was to disrupt what they clearly saw as a better footballing side. And uh, uh, the amount of uh, tackles through the back of James Rodriguez during that game to effectively try and kick him out of the game uh, was, was remarkable. And, and then, of course, you know, the bitter irony in that, um, that a physical challenge ended Neymar's World Cup as a result.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the whole thing about Brazil against Colombia, not one of the Brazil challenges on... Uh, James Rodriguez on its own was necessarily worthy of a yellow card, but by the sort of sixth time Ronaldinho'd, uh, Ronaldinho Ronaldinho? Not, not Ronaldinho, Fernandinho had clipped his heels and sent him flying. I mean, Rodriguez definitely played it up each time, but It's kind of understandable that he played it up because every time he got the ball, they kicked him off it, you know, and it was really boring and horrible to watch. It was was very unpleasant. And at that point, you know, of course, the romantic idea of Brazil winning the World Cup in the Maracanã is extremely attractive, but you you did. It was really easy to fall out of love with them at that point, wasn't it?
0: Look, it's like going down to the Copacabana Beach and expecting a... A bevy of beauties there. That's what you have on the Copacabana, right? And you you go and play beach volleyball with the these stunning, stunning South Americans, and then you turn up there and there's a bunch of you know Bulgarian shotputters there or something, right? This is is fundamentally disappointing to see. A Brazilian side play like this they're not supposed to but of course they haven't really played the samba football since 1982.
1: I mean I kind of knew there was definitely going to be a problematic aesthetic analogy coming at the end of that sentence I guess we kind of it could have been worse definitely um but yeah that I mean I think they did play a lot of really nice football in 2002 didn't they with the three R's um up front but definitely, their their team has not been completely dedicated to uh, that beautiful football since 1982.
0: Um, well, Fred, Fred up front certainly didn't combine <laughs> to play any beautiful football. I mean, and you know, I know, I know that the French had Stephen Givache and uh, and some you know pretty bad forwards in 1998. I'm not sure a World Cup winning side has ever had a forward as bad as Fred. Which of course is part of the reason why they're not a World Cup winning side. <laughs> no, absolutely.
1: But, um, he's just.
0: Bad. He was so
1: good in the Confederations Cup. I don't know. I I believed in Fred, but it turns out that Fred was a lie. Um, And the whole kind of Brazilian thing was and, and I kind of felt for the Brazilian people who looked absolutely traumatized. I don't mean the Brazilian people in the grand sense. I mean, the people that they showed on telly who were falling apart at the seams and you know i get a lot of stick for this sometimes when i talk about how football's only a game and i don't mean that lightly or dismissively but ultimately ultimately to invest that much of your emotional well-being that much of your personal and cultural identity into the performance of your national team you know there's something there that's not ultimately going to serve you that well well yeah look we we started this tournament
0: talking about the fact that the brazilian government or brazilian people effectively through their taxes had had underwritten this tournament to the tune of something like 13 billion dollars right when there's rampant poverty and economic problems in the country and how that's a problem right but the brazilian football federation wanted this tournament for exactly the same reason that every other country wants a big tournament for the feel-good factor right you know they're trying to dress it up in uh regeneration or economic benefit but it's just about the feel-good factor and unfortunately in in a world cup in a way that the olympics is different that you only get the feel-good factor if you win right and uh, especially if your expectation is (laughs) to win right maybe if we were holding it in england the expectation would be
1: slightly different right but like, if you think about South Korea, they they didn't win, but they massively outperformed expectation in their home World Cup, didn't they? And that's that's what you've got to do. But for, for Brazil, there's no; it's impossible to outperform expectation. You have to win the World Cup. Well, I tell you one thing: it's done. It, it does mean that Qatar will not be the
0: worst-performing host nation in the history of the tournament.
1: <laughs> oh dear, I can't even bring myself to think about that. Um Yeah, so the Germany performance was as good as the Brazil performance was bad, I think. I I think they were extremely incisive, and that five-minute period where they scored four goals and just completely ripped Brazil apart, you left in complete shock after that because the goals just kept on coming. Once it was 3-0, you think, this is all over. But no, (laughs) then it was 5-0, then it definitely was really all over.
0: Stories coming out of the Germany camp that uh, they'd made a pact between them in the dressing room at half-time to take it easy. And it, it did kind of look like that. I know they scored a couple in the second half, but it looked like the foot was off the gas. Maybe not Thomas Muller, but the rest of them uh, eased up, and uh, if they hadn't. It could have been double figures. That's how bad the Brazilians were.
1: I mean, Scherler got one of the goals of the tournament, probably definitely in the top ten for me in the, in the second half of that. But you're right, there was there was a conscious easing of the pressure. But... It's the sensible thing when you're five 0 up in the semi final to start conserving energy for the final, isn't it?
0: Yes, very sensible thing. And and Scalari in the aftermath said some very Moise esque things. It was quite funny. He said, you know, we we did well for the the opening part of the game, and then then it all fell apart. You know, I didn't quite say, well, it was the sixth goal that did for us, but but it wasn't far <laughs> off. Yeah, I um couldn't help myself, but uh photoshopping David Moise's head onto Scolari's body. Uh, stuck that out there and uh, like, you know, 500 people retweeted it in about a minute, <laughs> as, as you'd expect.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Manchester United photoshopped uh, Van Gaal's head onto David Moyes' body in a pre-season publicity photo. Oh dear, that's <laughs> just jinxed it, <laughs> hasn't it? Just bang out of order though as well, it? you know, talking about, you know, not respecting the man's, uh, the man's pride. Anyway, uh, that is definitely enough about David Moyes. May his name never again be mentioned on the rank cast. I'm sure it will. But it's nice not to have to think about him too much. The third place payoff, that most ridiculous of fixtures. It could have been, we could have had a Holland-Germany final and Argentina-Brazilian third place payoff. Uh-huh. That would have been pretty that have been tasty. But...
0: That would have been good, yeah. Um, Germany-Argentina in the finals is going to be good. But of course, before that, Holland-Brazil. It doesn't half feel like... In a, in a way that brazil Argentina wouldn't have felt quite so damp and meaningless. brazil holland feels very
1: mean. I mean Van Hal made this excellent point. He said the thing is you've had a really good tournament. Whoever loses the third place playoff goes home having lost their final two matches. You know, it's is like a really good point. It's like that you've got to World Cup semi-final, you've done amazingly well and you have got to go home on the back of these two defeats. No one's going to care about that game obviously. Nobody in the running for nobody seriously in the running for the golden boot playing uh, I'm sure it'll be a very lackluster affair kind of thought at the end of half time like none of those Brazilian players they're all going to Up in disguise for that tournament because what kind of pelters are they going to get from the Brazilian public?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you'd think there'd be significant changes, and
1: Scolari will allow some of the players who haven't played through the tournament to have a go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suspect we will not be seeing Fred uh, because as soon as his face appeared on the big screen, everyone started booing. So harsh. Yeah.
0: Maybe we'll get some goals. Remember Diego Forlands from 2010. Yeah, was tasty. In a, yeah, absolute blinder. So, I mean, maybe it'll be an open game.
1: Absolutely. Know. And talking of, like, goals, we're we're going to give out some awards before the final two games because we're not going to do a show at the end of this um, after this episode we're taking a month-long break and coming back uh, before the start of the season with a big season preview special uh, and then weekly podcasts of course about Manchester United throughout the season but yeah so uh, we're not doing a, a final wrap-up show so this is our last opportunity to hand out some World Cup RankCast awards so first of all Ed I thought since it's been the, the defined Rob Smythe wrote this piece about how this is definitely not the best World Cup of all time listing a low of perfectly reasonable grown up footballing reasons but the one thing that's given this World Cup it's its edge more than anything else is there's been barely a game that has not been fun in some way, uh, maybe five games this tournament that you could say there was no significant fun component. So with a view to all that fun, I thought it'd be nice to award the best games of the tournament so far. I've got my top three. Have you got yours, Ed? I'm not sure I do. I might have to ad lib off the top of my head.
0: Germany Ghana just so that second half was yep. great, great fun. What was one of your favourites? My
1: third favourite in third place, uh, Germany against Brazil. Kind of a difficult watch, but just for sheer ridiculously extraordinariness. Then in, in second spot, I've gone for that Germany-Ghana game. And in, in number one spot, this is no doubt hugely influenced by the fact that he's coming to manage our team next season. But uh, Louis van Hal's demolition of the world and European champions, Spain, was something yeah. i've never seen before so that's my number one favorite
0: yeah it's i mean it's hard to argue those three uh, i i'm not sure whether they're quite in that order for me or, or not but those two games the germany brazil semifinal and the spain holland were both gob open jaw droppingly what the f has just happened there moments weren't they in, in a way that you yeah you don't always get with the world cup and you definitely got with those two.
1: Yeah, and an honourable mention to Belgium against the USA, which probably should be there in favour of Germany-Brazil, really, because that was, that was just amazing. Even uh, Costa Rica-Greece, the last half an hour of Costa Rica-Greece.
0: Well, not quite as, as good as uh, Belgium-USA. i mean, thinking of Belgium-USA, it was, it was <laughs> yeah. a pretty tight game for 105 <laughs> minutes. And and then Belgium went a couple up in extra time, and suddenly the US just kind of opened up, and you were like, "Why didn't they play like this for the entire game? They were absolutely fantastic, it battered the Belgians." Uh, for the last 15 minutes of that game scored the one goal and just couldn't get the other
1: yeah and a word on Belgium uh, defeated in the quarterfinal stages defeated very very much by Mark Wilmoyes uh, having just said we won't mention Moyes anymore but my goodness Mark Wilmoyes underusing his best players using them out of yeah. position uh, relying on basic tactics Fellaini in midfield lumping uh, bad it. substitutions yeah. lumping it long awful I,
0: you know it's so disappointing and I, I think I know they got to the quarterfinals and I know they're a small country and actually that's probably above path for what they should achieve. But this is a team that has got loads and loads of talent and they didn't show it through the World Cup. They were very, very disappointing for the whole World Cup.
1: Yeah, and they got a pretty straightforward passage to the quarterfinals, you know, relatively speaking, compared to some other sides as well. So, yeah, no, pretty, pretty poor, pretty disappointing overall from Belgium. But people that weren't disappointing, I would like to give awards to top three players of the tournament. Um, I bet we pick the same one for number one, because it's, it's pretty much punditry, punditry 101 to pick this chap, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just thought Wazza was fantastic. He, no.
1: he got that World Cup goal, we've all been waiting for it for so many years, he couldn't have done any more, could he? I, I mean, basically,
0: he's <sighs> world champion.
1: No, it's uh, it's obviously James Rodriguez. I mean, it's such a shame Colombia aren't in this final. Uh, Argentina should definitely be booted out and Colombia brought back in uh, if we wanted the best team in the tournament in the final because they were just an absolute joy to watch, and and so much of that was to do with the truly, truly remarkable performances of James Rodriguez. Yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant all tournament, James Rodriguez.
0: And the thing is, when I'd seen him before at Porto, probably more than Monaco. He was a kind of sprightly winger. He was quick. He was direct, and uh, apparently had been offered to United for the pricey sum of five million. Oh Christ! And you went and spent on Bebe's agent. Let alone yeah, Bebe.
1: but you know that's, yeah. that's kind of it's one of those things, and it? it's a bit ridiculous to.
0: No, I know it's, it's not the right comparison, but in, in anyway. Right. Uh, so the, the thing that's been remarkable about him in the last two years is that he's developed from that winger into a playmaker. And not all talented wide men will do that, right? By any means. You know, you could be Ashley Young here, right? And uh, he's a, a genuine playmaker now. He dictates the tempo of the game. Of course, he's, he's not a playmaker in the way that Tony Cruz is a playmaker. It's not about use of the ball with him, it's more about. Being quick, playing one twos, he's very very direct. He's very fast over the ground with the ball, and uh, and he scores a lot of goals.
1: Yeah, and it'll be. Uh, I mean, he's probably still a fairly heavy. I, can't, I haven't got the stats to hand, so I don't know whether he's got his leading Müller in ins- assists or not. But I think Müller needs two goals uh, or goals and a number of assists to take the golden boot. So it's looking like it might be it might be Rodriguez to take away. But the golden ball definitely should be, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I guess the fact that he wasn't able to make a definitive impact in the quarterfinal between Colombia and Brazil might be a knock against him, but there were certainly a number of knocks against him that stopped him <laughs> being able to do that, weren't there? So, um, my number two uh, for for player of the tournament, I probably. I wouldn't imagine we're going to necessarily. Uh, tally up on these, uh, but I'd have Keylor Navas, the Costa Rican goalkeeper.
0: You didn't even have him in your team at the tournament
1: the other week. <laughs> I didn't, but there's been another game. I,
0: I did, so, you know, <laughs> you're, uh, you're just trying to copy me there.
1: That's true, but I, wa- I was trying to get a right back in there, and I wanted that. Anyway, uh, it's, a whole, it's a whole thing, but then he was also excellent again. He's had another excellent game, which Ochoa didn't have. I was just kind of blown away by Navas's performances, really. Yeah, I mean,
0: I'd have Ian Robin. Uh, as my number two, oh, I think he's been absolutely outstanding. Not not so great in the semi final, although he was the one man who's you know taking the fight directly to Argentina. Uh, I just think he's been excellent in that kind of role, just Ooh. off Robin van Persie. Not not again, not a classic playmaker. He's uh, he's Damien Duff to Robbie Keane from the 2002 World Cup. <laughs> if you remember that one, uh, he's he's been outstanding.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's hard to argue that. I, I guess he's not on my list because he's such a massive baddie. Uh, that definitely doesn't help. But no, he's had a remarkable World Cup. I, I kind of wanted to put Messi at number three, but he really was underwhelming in that semi-final, and he has had a lot long periods of time out of out of the tournament. I think in in many ways, Messi has been the most important player at this tournament because his team is in the final because of him. But I, I've kind of smushed a bunch of Germans into third place together. Uh, if you want to be really strict and make me pick one, I will. But kind of some sort of combination of Müller, Cruz and Hummels would be my third place. Yeah. Well, I mean, in different ways. Um, so
0: Hummels has been excellent defensively. I know, I know people criticise his mobility, but I'm not. I'm not sure that's quite right. I think he's been playing against some extremely slow players, so... Uh, he's uh, he's in a problem where he he can't tack the ball and he can't drop deep either. Um, uh, his distribution is fantastic. His reading of the game is brilliant. Cruz is just you know the, the one. The criticism of him is that he's um, he can go sideways a lot and but he can also slow the play down. Uh, he hasn't done that in this World Cup. He's he has been quick, quick, quick. And um, he's been he's been absolutely brilliant as a playmaker and, and tactically very important for Germany and and one of the reasons that Özil's been pushed wide right because Chris is much more reliable with the ball and Müller I'm not sure the performances have been brilliant but some of the finishing has been excellent um, a few other players that that warrant to mention Arturo Vidal excellent in all Chile's games uh, I'm saying this just in case he's listening <laughs>
1: you, just, you just love him
0: oh, he's a brilliant I'll be like you know but I think it's fair enough I've been saying that for some time right so yeah,
1: uh, uh, Sanchez of course like Sanchez uh, so dynamic but uh, he's dead to me now if he's thinking <laughs> of moving elsewhere so he's gone these are the pictures of him in the Arsenal kit yeah
0: <laughs> yeah Apparently, apparently, United wouldn't pay the wages. There you go. He's obviously, Van Hal has obviously got faith in uh, Young and uh, Nanny as our uh, attacking wide options. Hey,
1: listen, I'm,
0: I saw what he did to Ron Vlaar. I believe in Louis Van Hal. I believe in Bebe more than I believe in Ashley Young. I think. Anyway, so yeah, back to back to Arturo, mate. If you're listening, I'm sure you are. Join United,
1: please. You need, we please. definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely will be really nice about you all the time on this podcast.
0: Is it beneath us to beg? We might beg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, there, there's been a, a bunch of outstanding performances in this tournament. There are loads of really impressive performances early on, but but yeah, my top three are Rodriguez, Navas, and and yeah, Tony Cruz. On balance, would would to uh, get my third place. So
0: so a few shout-outs to other players that I think have really uh, performed to different levels, right? So uh, Jermaine Jones for the United States in the centre of the park. Just, You just didn't expect that much from him. Yeah, I think Manuel Neuer, easily the keeper of the tournament now... Right. Not not when we last recorded it. Navas would have been mine, but I think he's just grown into it. And he's just, you know, the stature of the man is extremely impressive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's there's that pre-World Cup marketing that the Germans did uh, where they're all in a black room wearing black suits and black shirts and black ties. And it looks like they're the S.S. Uh, and he takes it onto the pitch he's a scary
1: intense man I mean <laughs> try and generally avoid Nazi references when talking about the German national football team of 2014 but you know when you pick like people say like choose different attributes from different footballers to make the perfect footballer and like Manuel Neuer's whatever the fine line between confidence and massive arrogance is I would have that Yeah, because <laughs> uh, that man looks like he believes himself to be unbeatable
0: Yeah, another one and I've got to pick this one out because I said several times on the pod last season that I uh, really rate this guy Ricardo Rodriguez. Now linked with United, I see. I reckon that United scouting department just listens to the pod. (laughs) You know, you want a list of great players, just just listen to the pod and go off and buy them.
1: Well, you're. Kind of the person that said that Tony Cruz was occasionally a bit slow then and you weren't sure how he'd fit in at United. So you've got to take blame for that. Yeah,
0: but I was right about that one and, <laughs> until the World Cup and he, he sped things up. So he listens to the pod as well because he's taken <laughs> on board the constructive criticism and he's improved his game as a result. Yeah,
1: uh, with Ever going, we need another left back. It'd be weird to buy two expensive left backs in the same summer.
0: but There's no point, right? There's just no point. And they've spent 30000000 million, I'm sure they might as well. An experienced, slightly cheaper left back instead.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Generally speaking, there's some other excellent performances that I'm struggling to draw to mind. Oh, yeah, Slimani, Halishi, the, the Algerian boys in general. A uh, remarkable performance, a remarkable World Cup. So they deserve, they definitely deserve a mention in the honourable mentions category. Very honourable. Yep, yeah, very mentioned. Um, so on to the uh, the goal of the World Cup. My favourite goal was the the Hammers goal against uh, Uruguay
0: on the chest turns. It gets better every time you see that one. The only thing that would make that goal better, I mean, and it's pretty good because the the skill, the turn, and the volley. All perfect, dipping volley. and comes off the bar, makes it look really spectacular. If it was just a bit more in the top corner, <laughs> just, just a bit more.
1: That, that really is greedy. Um, in third place, uh, I'm doing this in a weird order, because I don't really have much to say about this goal, but it was that Scherler goal in, in, the, in the, the demolition of Brazil. I thought that was spectacular.
0: Hmm. hmm. I,
1: like, uh, I liked his technique. So, so, my, so my three are uh, Rodriguez and
0: Van Persie and Cahill still. And and there have been some crackers. So there's the David Luiz blast against Colombia. Oh my goodness, which yeah. Which stunning. And the the Scherler goal in the semi-final. Messi's against Bosnia. The little back heel from David Villa in his last game for Spain. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty nice and um, a few others a couple of swiss goals that were the shikiri one against um who was it, it was against honduras yeah because where he cuts inside and slams it in the top corner oh yeah. the
1: goal that benzema scored that was disallowed um that would have been a beauty but it doesn't count <laughs> uh, the brian reese goal if he meant it <laughs> that's definitely worth a mention if that's what he was trying to do or a uh, very lucky shank <laughs> just you know one way or the other. The messy goal against Iran, pretty phenomenal too. The messy free kick against Nigeria, yep. pretty damn damn lovely. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drop Hammers into second place and uh, bump Van Persie to first. I, I know that that's not really what I think, but this is a properly red-tinted Spectacles move. And also, I just want to talk about that Van Persie goal some more. I, I guess, in a way, when it really comes down to it, as the years go by, that'll be the goal that I really will want to see over and over again I love watching that that Rodriguez goal and it made me weirdly emotional seeing that goal there was something about it it was, it was really special but that Van Persie goal is genuinely like nothing I've ever seen in my life I've never ever seen that goal before
0: yeah whereas you have seen a volley from 25 yards No, no, no. Yeah. it's true it's, it will be an iconic goal that we'll look back on in in years time
1: yeah absolutely and just a ball from Blint which is sort of reminiscent of the long ball that Rooney played from the other side of the pitch against Aston Villa which uh, Van Bersie was too far out to uh, to head Uh, so he did that perfect volley the reason that Cahill goal doesn't get in the running for me is he just swung his boot at it that's like that goes that goes the wrong way as often as it goes the right way, you know.
0: Maybe he's just that talented. Maybe Rodriguez just swung his boot at I mean, you know, if he'd actually been a proper talent, he'd have put it in the top corner.
1: <laughs> but the Van Persie header, they're the inspiration to try it. the kind of perfect execution. Uh, the, mm. the the awareness, the vision. The next game against Australia was the last time Van Persie played well in this tournament but he played fantastically in the first two games. He's
0: not had a good tournament and he looked he actually looked tired yeah. didn't he? He looked like he'd he, given that he had most of last season off is is uh, interesting but you know I kind of hope they they manage to keep him out of the the pre-season games and they're able to give him a rest and he comes
1: back firing for United. He didn't play in that last game of the group stages because he was suspended. I wasn't surprised to hear that there was some injury doubt around Van Persie because we've all seen what Van Persie looks like when he's carrying a bit of a niggle and that's exactly how he looked. He just looked like that slightly off the pace, slightly carrying an injury Van Persie for those last few games.
0: Absolutely. Uh, He did. He looked like a player not fit and uh, it does really Really affect him, doesn't it? So we want him fit again. Uh, I suppose that Wayne Rooney can uh, keep the number nine spot warm through pre-season and the first few games of the season. It's worth Van Persie coming back a bit late and and then getting a proper pre-season in after. The season has started and and then uh, Rini can drop to the
1: bench again. Absolutely. So before we do a preview of the final, let's take a, a final set of World Cup-related Rankcast listener questions. At TH3Dado says, How do we get over the World Cup? Now it's over. Take a rest. Take a rest. And United's first game of pre-season
0: is July 26th. So you've only got to wait a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if I wasn't writing about United now, I, my plan would be to kind of pretend football doesn't exist between now and when we record the season preview podcast, but that's not going to be an option. Uh, but yeah, if you have the option not to pay attention to football between now and when the season starts properly, that'd be my recommendation. Mm.
0: Yeah, I've uh, I've actually barely done any writing on United Rand since the World Cup's been on. There's not a lot to write about if you're writing about United. I don't know how you find things to write about that aren't transfer-related.
1: Well, uh, the key is you just write about things that are transfer-related, sadly. But um, I've got a piece coming out later this week that I'm happy about. It's going to be out by the time you you hear this, which is 12 reasons for United fans to be excited about Louis van Gaal. Not too hard to think of those. I, I might come up with 50. Yeah. That would be brilliant. I would love to read that. Um at Jack K Holt friend of the rankcast says, "What have been your favorite penalties of 2014?" And that's easy. Uh, Greece against Costa Rica was a truly remarkable penalty shootout. The quality of penalties in that in that shootout was magnificent.
0: Yeah, great stuff. Although it's interesting if you've read Gary Lineker's sort of uh, penalty shootout analysis on the BBC, he says that uh, if you slam it into the top corner uh, that's a miss kick because no player is brave enough to aim there, uh, <laughs> which is which is an interesting way of putting it. But yeah, a, amazing set of penalty kicks. And I much prefer seeing that at the risk of a player smashing against a bar or, or whacking it over than just take a three-step and then sort of dribble it towards the keeper, which happens far too often. And it's just a bit lame, you know? If, you, if you're going to go out... Go out fighting. Uh,
1: well, uh, Abhishek Pride asks us why Ron Vlar took the first penalty, and I think we've we have discovered that since it was because he was the one that was sort of confident enough to do it, and very very brave, if slightly foolhardy to send a central defender up first and it it really set a bad tone for the Dutch penalties. I feel like tone is really important in penalty shootout, um, even though sometimes the momentum does switch.
0: Uh, Take the first penalty and score it and uh, you win 65% of the time.
1: Yeah, there you go. Okay, at JJ Carly says, Miroslav Klose has broken Ronaldo's goals record, but how will he fare when history looks back on him? He'll fare as an excellent goal poacher. I mean, Andy Thomas, the phenomenal football writer, wrote a, a piece about how... You know, this does nothing to affect original Ronaldo's legacy in any way whatsoever. It's like Ronaldo broke the record in his lifetime of scoring the most World Cup goals, but that was only a footnote, really, in what was an extraordinary career that brought a level of joy. And Ronaldo will be remembered for. Being one of the true greats of all time, and Miroslav Klose will be remembered as a guy that scored a lot of goals for Germany.
0: Yeah, that's a fair enough analysis. I, I don't think he'll be remembered as an all-time great by any means, and he just hasn't been. It's amazing how many goals he scored at international level compared to his record. Uh, for clubs
1: I think there's something kind of interesting about that and I I was I've been thinking about why that is and I do think it's something about the nature of international football and just having a goal scorer in your side in international goal in in international football is so crucial I mean it is at a club level too but you can sort of spread the burden out at club level because you've got many more games to do it in but you just want incisive finishes in uh, in world cups And that makes a a huge difference. But anyway, we come to the final where Miroslav Klose might extend his record. Where Thomas Müller might add to the fact that Germany would have won this World Cup, be the first European team to win on South American soil, have a player in their side that scored the most World Cup goals ever, just beat Brazil 7-1 and then somebody wins the golden boot for the second time, for the first time ever. No one's ever done it twice before. Muller has more assists than Rodriguez which means that he only needs one goal uh, in this to, to snaffle the golden boot for the second time which would be a, a record and Messi would need to get three goals or two goals and three assists uh, unlikely
0: to happen given that Argentina are probably not going to put five past Germany in the final <laughs> it seems a little unlikely so uh, how is this match going to go? I, I think that Germany will boss possession they've kept around about 60% possession through the tournament. They made more passes than any other side on average through the tournament. And I think Argentina will try to keep it tight and use their attacking players on the break. It seems like the natural pattern of things. And um, I'd expect the confidence from the semi-final flow through and that that, uh, Germany will be uh, the team on top for most of the game.
1: I mean, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. But then part of me also thinks... Argentina have the weapons to exploit the weaknesses that do exist in the German back four. France had chances to win that game and if Benzema had been on his best form they probably would have done. Of course that Brazil game was a weird anomaly but you know Ghana put two past Germany. The USA gave Germany a really Good go, you know. We we kind of assume that Germany have grown and grown into the tournament because that's what it looks like has happened. But it is also possible that that was a bit of an aberration, and they won't be able to put a performance like that together. And that Crows will sort of resort to slightly slower passing, and the whole thing will slow down in the wake of Argentina's sort of tough defending. And then Messi will be really dangerous on the counter.
0: Well, he will be dangerous on the counter, absolutely. And that's that's why they. Will play that way. The problem Argentina have with that is they can't exploit any space behind the fullbacks because they just don't have pace in those areas. Di Maria's out and Levetti just doesn't have the same kind of quality or pace. Uh, so it's going to go through the middle for Argentina and we'll see. I mean, they might want to be thinking about how to turn that Germany defence around and that means going over the top. But of course, they have to play everything into Messi's feet. Uh, I'd almost be tempted to push him up front, which they won't do because Higuain will start. Probably with Aguero in a, a slightly deeper or wider position, probably deeper right they'll play Messi and Aguero just behind Ingrain in a in a quite a narrow formation. not sure that's the right formation to to exploit germany 's major weakness
1: no, and you think if like Van Hal was managing Argentina, they might not set up like that, you know, but Sabella's been very predictable except for the kind of weird curve ball he threw at the beginning of the tournament, but that was such a disaster, but since then it has been if you were playing like pick the 11 Sabella would be a great person to choose to do that because you kind of know where he's coming from all the time don't you you do it's a, he's got some classic faces Sabella <laughs>
0: he, he really has he's you know how uh, you know how babies always look surprised <laughs> that's Sabella he looks like that or he's surprised or constipated I, I'm not quite sure which one it is but he's got that like constant look of shock on his face
1: the bit where it looked like he genuinely had passed out in the quarterfinal. final <laughs> he just sort of starts falling straight backwards doing the full Del Boy or trigger from Only Fools and Horses. I can't remember who it was that did the pratfall. It was Del Boy, wasn't it? yeah. Anyway, he nearly fell over. It was hilarious. End of story. So the end of the World Cup story. uh, Are we predicting a Holland win in the third place playoff or do we officially refuse to predict that because it's such a pointless match?
0: Completely pointless game. I I don't know how to predict it. Uh, Which Brazil turns up? Are they going to be determined to prove some people wrong? Are they just not interested anymore are the brazilians going to start allaying the the dutch as they they did to the germans in the semi-final which is just remarkable um do the dutch care anymore uh, what kind of changes will happen in both sides i mean you expect a lot of them wouldn't you are you gonna watch it yeah of course I've seen every other game why wouldn't i it's united's first <laughs> okay, game of pre-season. <laughs>
1: All right, so predictions for the World Cup final. Here we are, Germany-Argentina. That's a pretty classic World Cup final of our youth, isn't it? That is uh, that is just the standard World Cup final. As far as I was concerned, there were no other options. 1994 was a bit of a shock to the system when it wasn't a, a Germany-Argentina final.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm going to predict a 2-0 win for Germany and I think they will score early and I think Müller will score uh, early and they'll control the final as a result uh, and there you go, I'm going to have that Muller score first, Gem to win 2-0 I wonder what odds I can get on that
1: <laughs> and You've got really into sports betting during this World Cup I've noticed <laughs> I'm dangerously
0: into it <laughs> I, I may have a £1 bet club through the season
1: <laughs> Nice, we're not having a gambling sponsor on the Rancast though, I, I draw the line there <laughs> um, uh, Your mileage may vary or whatever the, whatever the legal disclaimer is we have to talk about have you, have you come out ahead during the World Cup? Uh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's gambling's a mugs game. No, no, I, I most yeah. definitely have not come out ahead. I think I'm down to my
1: last pound. So <laughs> OK. Well, good luck with uh, the Moolah 2-0 win with that pound. I am going to predict a... A three-one win to Germany, but the third goal coming after it doesn't really matter anymore. Like a, a sort of reverse consolation goal, you know. Once the game's effectively over, so properly it'll be a two a two-one win. But then they'll just get that extra goal to reflect their dominance. In fact, that might even be Thomas Muller's golden boot goal, uh, th- the third goal. So there we go.
0: Very good. Well, there you go. That's the World Cup done. It's been amazing, hasn't it? It's been it's been really good, and you know, absolute mega feast of football. And nothing's quite the same as the group stages when you get three games a day and it starts slowing down towards the end and you're like, where's my next game? I've got to wait till nine (laughs) o'clock for the game. This is just, it's just not on. I think, I think what they should really do is, you know, they're going to have a third, fourth place playoff. They might as well have a fifth, sixth, seventh (laughs) day. Like they're doing the Hockey World Cup, you know, so they could just double the amount of games.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, But I mean, it it has been brilliant. It's uh... It started off, nobody knew what the, what the kind of, the nature of the support from Brazilian people would be because there was so much controversy about the World Cup. It's pretty clear that the the Brazilian people have got fairly behind the World Cup in general, although there's of course still been a lot of protest. But there hasn't been the massive clashes with police that we were worried about. Not that I'm saying that like supporting football is better than civil disobedience or whatever, because that's not necessarily the case, but just it's good that loads of people haven't been hurt, you know, that we're worried that that might happen. So the kind of political backdrop of it hasn't caused too many problems. And, and ultimately it was like a really beautiful World Cup. And given that the next one's in Russia and the one after that is supposed to be in Qatar, it could be a long time before there's a, a really beautiful... World Cup again. So it's, it sort of feels really poignant that this is coming to an end because, you know, there, there's, there's some questionable, well, very questionable human rights stuff happening in the lead up to this one. But imagine what it's going to be like in Russia in 2018 and Qatar in 2022. You know, it's, it does get to the point where, you just can't put that stuff on hold anymore. So uh, I'm really grateful that this has been such an extraordinary feast of football. Yeah, well, the slum kids didn't die for
0: this. Well, that's, you know, it's awful, isn't it? Look, FIFA has a lot to answer for for very, very many reasons. They don't care because they pocketed $4 billion from this tournament. That goes into their mega slush fund, which um, they just increase their reserves and reserves apparently and don't dip into at all, Sip. Uh, Yeah. Right. Um, So lots and lots of questionable things. The same in Russia, of course, uh, and most definitely in Qatar. It doesn't mean we won't get great football in Russia. We could do. You know, it's a summer tournament. It's not going to be played by extremes of heat, although it may be played by extremes of distance because they are determined to have it in 12 cities and and in different regions. So it won't all be played in the western part of Russia. So some teams are going to be flying a very long way and they're also moving back to the cd teams in a base uh, format so some poor sod will be playing in novograd and whatever that city is on the very far east of russia with the unpronounceable name but so we could still get good football with some challenges. Qatar, to play in the summer, there's no chance of any good football. None, none. Even though they play all the games at midnight, it's still going to be 40-odd degrees. So if it does happen in Qatar, and there are lots of doubts about that, it, they will end up having to play it in the winter, and it's going to ruin three seasons of football.
1: Yeah, that'll be kind of unfortunate. I mean, the Russian thing, you wonder what the geopolitical situation will be at that point, because, you know, the the, the chances of Russia and the West having really seriously got Problems by that point seem pretty high if you're looking at a risk graph, don't they? You know, uh, I, I don't think FIFA cares. And maybe that's what FIFA has spent saving the four billion for to just kind of pay off the people of Ukraine to keep quiet about the Russian invasion, so nobody in the West notices and that all the teams go to the World Cup. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, all that aside it really has been a spectacular World Cup and I kind of, in my head, like I'm playing a, a montage like they would have at the end of the BBC World Cup coverage, so we can't do a montage because this is a, an audio recording and we haven't got all the stuff to splice together, the audio to do one, but just right now play the best montage of this World Cup you can imagine, it's got the Colombians dancing, it's got that RVP goal, it's got Rodriguez beating a man Alexis Sanchez hitching up his shorts and running past players, Arjen Robin doing a dive and then scoring an amazing goal you know it's got all the saves by Ochoa and uh, Navas and it's got Neuer doing his sweeper keeper bit against whoever it was he did his sweeper keeper bit against uh, Algeria um, it's got the USA it's got the I believe that we will win chant going on it's the best montage of the best World Cup of our lifetimes
0: very good <laughs> very good yeah it's been great stuff and uh, it would be nice to take a break for a little bit after this um, a good whole two weeks until uh, pre-season for United uh, in the United States so is going to be very very different I think uh, much more about uh, sellings, products for United sponsors than actual football but also very important for Lou van Gaal he's had an outstanding tournament he's come out a real winner uh, and it's a very important time for him to bed into his new club role and Get on with taking United back to glory, and then international football we we get a whole break until September when the European Championship qualifiers start again.
1: Yeah, and and I get a break from caring about international football for two years because international football is for tournaments only. Like qualifying, you can keep that as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, my love of international football is a very is very much a summer thing. Uh, otherwise, it just gets in the way of uh, so I'll feel I'll feel slightly guilty in September when we're complaining about the uh, United schedule being into. By international football, since international football's just brought so much joy. But no, it's that's that's a it's a, a summer a summer fling and the, the long-term marriage starts again uh in, in August. We'll be back. The RankCast is gonna have a month off. We're not covering pre-season, um, but we'll be back with with shows every week uh during the season. We're gonna do a big season preview looking at what who we brought in, you know, talking about how great Vidal looks in his United kit in pre season and-, and. And whether Rooney can get in the side <laughs> ahead of
0: James Rodriguez and, and, and do we play. Uh, Messi or Young on the left wing
1: <laughs> absolutely it should be an amazing season to be a United fan if you've joined us for the World Cup shows and you're not a United fan thanks for listening uh, you might want to check out here because there's not much left for you from our show but thank you for listening hey, and- we
0: might be able to convert them <laughs> yeah
1: that'd be weird though it's, it's weird to change your football team isn't it that's a, that's a weird thing to do but yeah we, we really look forward to, to folks joining us uh, for the Ranked Cast next season as we cover the ups and downs and, and mostly ups again of Louis Van Hals Manchester United. Very exciting to be able to say that. I'm uh, not taking a Twitter break, so if you need to get me, you can get me at UTD Rantcast. Ed, are you going to be on Twitter for the next month or so? Yeah, why not? There we go. At United Rant, slash uh, United Rant. If you want us to find your comment about three weeks after you leave it and click like on it, I definitely promise I will do that. And uh, UnitedRant.co.uk for all your United coverage needs, uh, and you can read my stuff on the Bleacher Report.
0: Very good, and
1: uh, we've been
0: playing some pretty funky music through this World Cup tournament. So, uh, give us, give us, a, give us a word on the the play out song this week, Paul. What's it called?
1: Uh, yeah, so uh, the, the the theme music, very uh, kindly provided. Don't tell him because you know. Anyway, uh, just keep it on the download. But uh, a chap called Edu Lobo, who's a 1970s, 60s, and 70s bossa nova artist from Brazil, and the track is called Zanzibar. Thank you.